Welcome to Voice Power, the podcast all about bringing the power of voice for your business or personal needs. You will hear how voice increases your positivity and creates amazing opportunities. Your host, Earl Thomas, The Voice, will share his vast experience on today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and writing a review wherever you receive your podcast. My special guest today is a Winnipeg native, born into a large family of eight. His mother, a single mom on welfare with alcoholic addiction. Alcohol was a major problem in their family. Richard Young has battled back to an incredible life. His recovery is truly amazing. Richard began his substance abuse at 12 years old. He was an undernourished kid running around the streets and alleys of Winnipeg. A very skinny kid, and his average weight was between 90 to 120 pounds, well into his 20s. He got bullied a lot at school and got into lots of fights, all through elementary up to junior high. His father was absent and an active criminal doing prison time. He came to believe that it was his destiny to be a criminal, bitter and angry at what the system had done to him. Eventually, he aged out of being a ward of the children's aid and was free to go home. Their family was poor. He decided to start shoplifting to get their needed clothing and good food. Richard knew if you're treated like a criminal, you will become a criminal. He was very good at it. His street name was Slippery People, called Slip for short. Beginning his career in small-time crime in Winnipeg, his main income, shoplifting and welfare. He eventually decided Winnipeg was just too evil to live in. Richard heard a lot of good about Vancouver and made his way out west to B.C. At 65, he obtained a decent apartment with the B.C. housing and was on welfare. He found that he didn't have to steal and retired from shoplifting. Older and wiser, but he didn't have much faith in God. He was sure that the Bible was a fairy tale. Then one day, he found himself in a mental crisis. His sister lived in his building and attended church and would ask him, do you want to come to church with me? He refused and would say, I don't believe in fairy tales. One day he said yes. The services spoke to his life and heart. It seemed that the words of the Bible spoke directly to him and his circumstances. Of comfort and understanding and forgiveness, everything missing in his life. He learned he was a child of God and God is his father and always was even when he hated him. Richard is currently living a new life and serving others with the Chinatown Stewards Program, establishing a safer and more inclusive community in and around Vancouver Chinatown, providing a variety of services, helping tourists navigate the Chinatown district and acting as liaisons between shopkeepers and those experiencing homelessness, using drugs or loitering. It is with great pleasure I welcome Richard Young to Voice Power. Welcome, Richard. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you, Earl. Now, at Voice Power, we're discovering how our voice creates positivity. Thanks for your time to share your incredible story and your community involvement. You have bounced back from a more than challenging early life in Winnipeg. How did you become a ward of children's aid in Winnipeg? When I was growing up in Winnipeg, I was like about 14, 15. And I was a very skinny kid. And uh, the schools that I was attending in the north end of Winnipeg were pretty tough schools. 
So I was getting into a lot of fights because I was victimized because of my size, because I was so small. And they sent me to this one particular school because I got into so many fights. They sent me to a tougher school and I wound up uh, uh, getting bullied a lot because of, because of my size. So I started skipping out because I was in fear of getting beat up every day. It was a pretty tough school. So, uh, because my mother was on social services, they got involved because they found out that I was skipping school. And uh, my mother said, well, I don't know what to do with them to make them go to school. So the uh, social services deemed me incorrigible and made me a ward of the children's aid. They sent me to a residential school in uh, Winnipeg, uh, a boy's home. And of course, uh, there you are in the building with 30 other boys and, uh, you know, at least in school at four o'clock, I could go home and get relief from the bullying. But being in a boy's home, bullying was 24-7. So I started running away from there. And uh, I'd run away and I would get caught. They'd bring me back. I'd run away and get caught. And then they finally, uh, one time they caught me and they decided they were tired of bringing me back to the school. So they took me to a detention home. And I wound up in uh, youth jail. And uh, from there, I was uh, sitting in there realizing, well, wait a minute, uh, why am I here? I didn't commit any crime. I didn't break in anywhere. I didn't steal anything. And I didn't hurt anybody like the rest of these guys. Why am I here? In the bullying, um, did you win any fights? Were you good? Uh, I lost more than I won. <laughs> you weren't going to become a boxer, in other words. Actually, I was interested in boxing in my latter, latter years. Uh, I had a... Uh, makeshift gym in one of my houses with a heavy bag and a speed bag i really enjoyed the boxing what was it you heard about vancouver that motivated you to move here well mostly it was the weather um we were there we are in winnipeg and we got like winter eight months a year and we got like 40 below and there's absolutely nothing to do for a young teenager in, in those in that kind of environment it's not like you can go out in the corner and hang out with your friends you know it's like freezing cold so and I heard good things about uh, Vancouver. I heard it was very cultural, very enlightened, very beautiful as well. And I just, you know, when I came out here on the train, um, the train stopped in the mountains for some reason. And uh, I, I looked in between the cars. I opened the top door and I looked out and I seen uh, Mount Robson and it just took my breath away. And ever since then, I was addicted to the mountains and I, I can't leave them. I got to be around them now. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it here. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Tell us uh, the impact your sister had on your life. Uh, well, there was a time there where I was in crisis, in a mental health crisis, and uh, I wound up uh, in the mental health ward because I had a complete breakdown. And I wound up in the mental health ward for a while, and then I got released, and I went home. And uh, my sister, who lives in the same building as me, uh, of course, she heard about this. And she, uh, she was uh, attending church, and she would ask me every Sunday, um, would you like to come to church with me? And I would say, no, I do not believe in fairy tales. Leave me alone. You know, but she got at it month after month, right? Finally, one day I agreed and I went. I met a wonderful pastor by the name of uh, Blair Gross. And uh, I was sitting in his service and his service, and he was reading from the Bible and, and, and uh, deciphering verses and talking about different verses and stuff. And it really spoke to me. Uh, and to my heart about what was happening in my life. It seemed like he was speaking directly 
for me and about my current situation. And I couldn't believe it. I was totally amazed about this. And I thought, this is supernatural. This is not what I've ever seen before or heard before in my life. I've never experienced that kind of spirituality. And uh, every service I went to after that spoke to me and spoke to my life and things that were going on in my life. So I thought, you know, I'm in the right place. And I started studying the Bible and I started learning the word. And on March 31st, 2015, I became baptized, born again Christian. You know, there's a message in there for for anyone in the sense that, you know, you invite somebody with love Mm -hmm. and you, you, you keep going. Because I, because yes. I know that that your your response was, oh, you didn't want to go. No, I'm not into fairy tales, you know, that type yes. of a thing. But yeah. you know, keep the keep the love going. In your intro, you stated you thought being a criminal was your destiny. How surprised and relieved are you that you're not a criminal? Oh well, that's uh, the thing about church that completely changed my life uh, when I became uh, a Christian, and I and I. Uh, accepted uh, Jesus Christ into my life I see his works Jesus reveals himself to me by the blessings that he gives me and once I noticed these things and I said to I I said to in one of my prayers I said to Jesus I'm going to make you a promise if you come into my life I'm going to quit stealing I'm going to do my best to quit stealing I'm no longer going to steal and after that promise, I haven't wanted for anything. Somehow, whatever I need gets dropped in my lap through some way or some other. And I know that this is God's hand in my life. This is how God reveals himself to us. People say, well, I don't see him. I don't want to believe in the invisible and stuff like that, right? And, well, give it a chance. Open the door. Say some prayers. Give God a chance. Show you who he is right? But you have to believe in your heart, right? You can't just test them and say, okay, I'll go to church for a while and see if my life improves. No, you have to believe in your heart in Jesus Christ. You have to open that door. I mean, even when I hated him, even when I hated God, he loved me and looked after me. And, and you did you hate did, him. You, you, you hated him for what reason? Well, I was uh, going through the, I was stuck in the system and the system treated me very badly as far as I was concerned. They had a hand in turning me into a criminal. But uh, the odd time, I would take an odd job here and there, right? It wasn't just daily, I mean, uh, being a shoplifter permanently. Uh, When there was no work, I would turn to shoplifting. But I had this job, and I came home one night, um, and I sent my little brother, uh, nine-year-old brother, uh, to the store to pick me up some uh, a chocolate bar and to buy himself something and so he could get a treat and tragically on the way back he got hit by a car and killed right in front of our house and uh, that's when I started hating God I looked at my life and what I'd been through and then I looked at this tragedy people tried to console me people tried to uh, you know uh, make me believe that there was a Jesus Christ and I just wouldn't believe it and I was just very angry very angry person I was angry at God uh, truly, your your life is a miracle. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's just really amazing. Now, recently, you've written some vital articles. Tell us the topics. And Back in uh, 2017, I wound up uh, homeless. 
and I was on the streets here in Vancouver, and I was hanging around the downtown east side, and I was uh, living in the shelters down there. I learned about Megaphone Magazine because some of the people that were staying at the shelter, they had this uh, pouch full of magazines, and it said Megaphone Magazine on the pouch. So I asked them about that, and they said, yeah, they they gave you a bunch of magazines. You go stand on the corner. You sell them for $2. You keep $1.75, and it's a way to uh, make an extra living, right? magazine uh, vendor department and I did that for a little while and then I was offered a position in a class that they were held held a a speaker's bureau class Um, they listened to my story and I told them told them my journey like I told you and so they know that I have lived experience with you know drug use and with uh, you know homelessness the class was to speak out conceptions and stigma against drug users started off in, uh, with the Speakers Bureau doing that. And we would attend events and we would raise awareness about uh, uh, drug users. Not all drug users are bad. Not all drug users are evil. Look at me. I'm a drug user, but I'm here speaking before this class at a university or at a school or at a medical industry. You know, I'm a normal person, right? But I use drugs, right? So we're trying to break the misconceptions. I started doing those events and then... Um, the editor of the Megaphone magazine, uh, she asked me to do an article on, you know, what's your favorite recipe? So I did an article on that and they published it. And I got kind of thrilled that I had my picture in the magazine. And, you know, they had my article there on my recipe. Uh, eventually, I started writing for them. I would come up with an idea and I would say, well, you know, how about this idea? Maybe I could write something about this, right? So my editor would say, go ahead and, you know, submit it. We'll see, right? And uh, since then, I've, I guess I've had about... Well, maybe eight or nine articles published so far. I have one coming out uh, in January. Um, and it's an article about uh, the violence in Chinatown and uh, possible solutions to solve that, right? And uh, it's just been growing because God's been with me. God's been guiding me. He's been giving me these thoughts. And He's he's been showing me, you know, what to write. Now, before I write an article, I give it to God. I say, God, this is in your hands, okay? You help me with the right words to say. And so far, every article that I've submitted has been published. Now, how did you become involved in the Chinatown Stewards Program? I wasn't making uh, much money as a vendor, so I was trying to supplement my income. I was uh, seeing people uh, downtown east side picking up needles. I asked the guy, you know, where do you go, right? Well, where do you go? They say, go to Ember's East Side Works. So I was walking down the street, I seen the sign, I went inside and I spoke to them, said, look, I'm looking for some part-time work. That's what they do. They hire inclusively, they help people uh, with that are marginalized and have uh, multiple barriers against uh, employment, and they find them employment and they help place them in jobs, right? So I spoke and had an interview with uh, uh, intake workers there, and I told them my journey. And uh, I told them about my you know, lived experience with drug use and things like that. And uh, he said, well, we have this new program we're just starting called the Chinatown Stewardship Program. And I think you might be a good fit for that. They hired me and I got in on the ground floor just as the program was starting. They give us a bucket and a wand and a needle box container. Uh, But our, our duties are more involved than just picking up garbage and picking up needles. Uh, we are we were trained in overdose response through my Ember's Eastside Works office. Also, we were trained in uh, conflict de-escalation because we have to be diplomats. We have to liaison between 
the uh, shop owners and the homeless people on the street and the drug users on the street. Now, if we get a phone call from a shop owner and says, there's a guy in my doorway sleeping in my doorway, they send us. We come there, we, you know, speak to the person. We say, look, you explain the situation. Look, you're blocking the entrance to the doorway. You know, we have to ask you to move. You don't have to leave Chinatown, but you just have to move out of this area, right? Also, um, uh, that way, the shop owners don't have to call don't have to go outside of the shop and deal with the drug user or the homeless person sleeping in their doorway. They call us and we deal with it. Rather than the shop owners calling the police, they call us. So we are diplomatically go there and, and because we have uh, uh, lived experience with drug use, we can relate to these to the homeless and the drug users and we very diplomatically and very calmly and nicely uh, you know explain the situation and ask them to move on. And the whole idea behind the Chinatown uh, stewardship program was to promote business in Chinatown so that nothing interferes with business because they were having a hard time with the COVID. When the COVID came along, businesses were closing down uh, because most people uh, go to uh, Richmond for their shopping. Richmond was taking a lot of the trade out of old Chinatown. So what we were trying to do is preserve old Chinatown. Diplomats on the street, uh, we see the people hanging out using drugs in Chinatown, I would, we would go up to them and I would explain, hi guys, how's it going? Everything okay? Yeah, everybody all right? Yes, okay. Uh, listen, I have to give you a tip for your own safety. VPD doesn't like it, public drug use here in Chinatown. And I think for your own safety, it's best just to put that stuff away. We're not asking you to leave. We're not asking you to move along. Just please put your drugs away, right? And uh, so we call that drug use warnings, right? So that helps promote business because uh, we had a, some bad press there a while back about the, there's a tourist uh, website that people go to and they, you know, they say, oh, this is a good place to, for tourists to go or this is a bad place for tourists to go. And we got some bad press about uh, uh, the old Chinatown because there's people sleeping on the sidewalks, right? And, uh, you know, oh, don't go to Chinatown. There's people sleeping on the sidewalks and there's, you know, drug use going on and stuff like that. Um, our premise, our, our mandate as Chinatown stewards aren't to move people that are sleeping on the sidewalks, only if they're blocking the entrance of the doorways, right? So it's not our mandate to wake these people up and say, move along. That's the job for the Chinatown security, which is they have uh, the business association has their own uh, security, and uh, that's their job. Uh, that's an that's an issue for Chinatown. That kind of gets in the way because tourism is their lifeblood down there. Also, as as stewards, we help direct tourists. You know, we have a little bit of information, a little bit of knowledge about the history of Chinatown, and uh, uh, sometimes we get to talk to people on the street, or they ask us directions, or where's a good place to eat, and things like that. Um, the the program has been pretty successful. We're going into our sixth year now. Every year we come up for funding. And we're mostly funding, funded by the city of Vancouver. So we seem to be well-liked down there. We seem to be successful. That's so great, program, Richard. Program's that's, continuing. <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh, you know, we've got a good vibe going here between us because you've actually answered my next question before I even asked it. I was going to ask you about a typical day, but obviously you described that. Uh, <laughs> what I would ask you about it is, tell me your level of fulfillment because you came from a rough life style in in winnipeg and you know and, and you had homelessness here uh what's the level of fulfillment helping others down there 
oh, I feel like I have a purpose. I feel like um, I'm in the right place. I feel that uh, because of my faith, I feel that I've been placed down there because I was homeless down there and I was sleeping in the shelters. I have lived experience down there. I know how these people feel. I know what they're going through and I have empathy for them, right? Because I was there myself. And uh, I, and mostly the, the most fulfilling part of being a Chinatown steward is the wellness checks. Um, they're very important. Uh, we do wellness checks on people. Okay, someone's sleeping on the sidewalk and uh, we stand over them, we take a look, are they breathing, right? And you know, if we can't see them breathing, we'll give them a little shove and we'll say, hey, excuse me, sir, are you okay, right? How you doing there, brother? Are you all right, right? If we don't get a response, we give them a, a we break out our kits and we give them a, we call 911, we give them our locks and shot and, uh, you know, hopefully bring them around. you have an experience, Richard, of helping someone actually directly before the first responders got there that you helped save oh, a yes. life? Oh, yes. Tell us about that. Okay, well, I've been involved in since uh, in the five years that I've been, I've been involved in about uh, six overdose responses. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but when you figure that we're only working 12 hours a week, four-hour shifts, three times a day, that's actually quite a lot for one person. Um, we did a, a survey in our office, and we, a, we, a, we are averaging 30 overdose responses per five-month period. Um, there is nothing more fulfilling that you that when you see someone at death's door and you revive them with that miracle drug that naloxone is just amazing. Um, yeah, they usually kind of you know they go from near death to having a coffee at McDonald's ten minutes later. They go from completely unresponsive, turning blue, not breathing, to 20 minutes later, sitting there in McDonald's having a cup of coffee. The naloxone is amazing stuff, but it's very fulfilling when you bring someone back to life like that. I mean, you can't beat that. You just, it's just a, a thrilling, it's just overwhelming. You just, and I think that uh, that's one of the most important uh, roles that we play down there as a Chinatown stewards is the wellness checks. We make sure everyone's okay and breathing you know and during this opiate crisis there's many many people we've, we've lost a lot of people uh no one that we've responded to have we lost thank god uh but i'm you know as a steward i'm walking around doing my shift and there's a woman in the winter and it's raining and she's in bare feet and she's running right down the middle of pender street and she's wailing and crying and just in utter despair and i go chasing after her what's wrong huh? come on off the road are you okay i just lost my brother to overdose another man i see him walking just weeping and i'm just in despair i say hey man what's wrong come over here what's wrong i just lost my best friend to overdose and they're inconsolable they're absolutely inconsolable, and it breaks my heart to see that, and I want that to stop, and I want to be part of the process that makes that stop. So I speak out against the opiate crisis uh, and at our events through the Speakers Bureau, and also as a Chinatown steward doing our wellness checks. So that gives me purpose and fulfillment. Well, you definitely provide a very vital service. I'm I'm, I'm happy for your level of fulfillment. 
Now, right now, like since since you've bounced back from a lot of heartache and your early life and homelessness in, in Vancouver, uh, someone's listening now who's experienced the desire to give up. They're very discouraged. What would you say to them from your heart and your mind? Somebody having mental health issues that is very depressed and is having uh, suicidal thoughts. Well, it depends on their background. Are they drug users or are they, or are they just normal people that are just having a very bad time? Um, for me, I would say reach out. Reach out to someone. Uh, when I was in despair and when I had my breakdown, um, I reached out. Um, I was suicidal. I didn't think, I didn't like the way I was thinking. I was in utter despair. I was weeping. And I was like, I couldn't stop weeping. I was like, I wept for six hours. But I reached out. I got, went to the crisis line in the phone book. And I phoned the crisis line. They sent an ambulance over. And the ambulance picked me up. And they took me to the mental health ward in Burnaby uh, General Hospital. And from there, I started receiving help. I would say, in despair, reach out. Speak to someone. They gave me a psychologist. They gave me a psychiatrist. Get it out, you know, try and uh, 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 don't keep it to yourself. Share it. Share your, your journey. Share your despair. Share what's making you uh, depressed, right? And uh, professional help is a big help. And there are agencies and organizations out there that will help you, but you have to ask. You have to reach out. Don't try and keep this stuff to yourself. Well, Richard, I really appreciate you being with me today. Uh you know, what we try to do here at Voice Power, besides talking about voiceover and those topics, is bring quality content uh, to our community. And you've definitely done that today. Do you have any final thoughts? I would like people to become more aware of the opiate crisis uh, and what we can do about it. Um, what we're trying to do at, at the Speakers Bureau and through Megaphone Magazine is we're trying to decriminalize drugs so that uh, people can get safe supply, um, but we need our premises first. Stop the deaths, okay? Safe supply. You can go to the pharmacy with your prescription, get your heroin, get your cocaine, get your whatever, right? But it's safe. Then we need more. Then the next step is housing. We have to house these people. We have to get them off the streets. The city's got to start building low-income housing. We've been advocating that for years. The next step is more treatment centers, okay? Stop the deaths, house them, then treat them for their addictions. And that's our plan. And the city's got to get behind it, right? And this is what we're hoping. Well, I've enjoyed my time with you, Richard, and uh, I'm wishing you a great day. Thanks for stopping by at Voice Power. Thank you for having me, Earl. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into Voice Power and subscribing and writing a review wherever you receive your podcast. Voice Power is the podcast that keeps you informed on how voiceovers improve your business and personal life. Earl Thomas, The Voice, thanks you for joining him today. Have yourself a wonderful day and we look forward to you joining us next time.